beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Joshua, it's a beautiful day today. How are you? I'm doing good, Sean. It's good to have you back on air doing this stuff. Uh, we're in the same room again. The uh, We had some poor quality sound the last couple of times Sean was on. He was on a cell phone, um, but he's back in studio now, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting this uh, this next interview. Absolutely, it's a very exciting time right now. We're doing a ton of interviews on the go. Uh, you know, we got a really exciting spring summer lined up for you guys, so can't wait. And again, thank you to all the listeners for uh, joining us on this ride. Really appreciate it. So for today's podcast, we have on with us Barbara Gon Mueller, and. Barbara is a former teacher, current keynote speaker and author. And, you know, we really wanted to get into the tragedies that took place, the fire, um, the fire flood and peace, as Barbara likes to say, which happened this past uh, year, 2017 in California. Fires that were going on. And if we heard the news, it was uh, pretty big. And so, you know, she's here to talk to us about that as well. And essentially, she experienced these emotions that were going on during uh, this tragedy, unstoppable fires that were raging for weeks throughout her community, shortly to be followed by a wave of deadly mudslides. So, um, you know, just tragedy, you know, natural occurrences, but, you know, a lot of loss taking place. Um, so something unexpected emerged from this horrible situation, which was peace. As uh, she handed out safety masks, listened to her neighbor's stories of trauma, and offered a simple, I am sorry, to those who were suffering. Uh, Gon Mueller offered comfort and peace to those who lost their homes and loved ones. Barbara's actions and the kindness of those around her encouraged others to do the same, which ultimately brought the community closer together during a trying time where many uh, support was, which a lot of support was needed during that time. So wanted to thank Barbara for that and introduce her to the show. Barbara, welcome. Thank you so much. You know, the emotions that I experienced during the fire and the floods are still with me. They're still raw. When you were talking about it, I go back to that time when I was with those victims of the fire and then those victims of the flood. And, you know, the emotions are always with you. You feel the pain. You witness the pain of others. And the peace part is I brought the peace that I have worked for a long time to bring into existence in me because we're always going to have upset. We're always going to have something that doesn't ring true for us. And then how do you remain peaceful during that's those a, periods, right? No, that, that's right. And you have a, say a, a long life journey of learning how to cultivate that peace within yourself and provide a space for others as you know, this stuff is going on. And so I can't wait to sort of hear about, hear about your journey. But first, uh, could we just sort of ask you where you are from and where, when exactly the fires took place? I am from Santa Barbara, California. Uh, welcome to my little home. I am delighted that you asked me to talk on your show. I was listening to some of your previous shows and I was thinking how important those conversations are that you have with your guests. And so in Santa Barbara, I am president of the United Nations Association, which is an arm of the global voice of the UN in New York and in Geneva. And I have spent a lot of time with people who are working on things like treaties, the Bill of Human Rights, 
people who are trying to bring peace to warring countries. And I noticed the thing that was lacking was they were unable to come alongside and have a conversation without being upset. And as I observed these things, I realized that we have a lot of issues in ourselves that come forth under stress. And I said, oh my, if that's not the formula for peace, living with the stress, knowing that you are that peace provider in any situation, it really starts in the mind, doesn't it? Absolutely. I uh, I couldn't have said that better myself. It's it's really sort of, it brings out the things you avoid, I think, you know, like trauma and grief. It brings out those attachments that we don't really think about till after they're gone or after they're taken away. And so you see yourself in a new way. And a lot of times it's very disheartening. So I, that's amazing. You got to that and you could see that within the conversations you're having at the UN. Absolutely. And the United Nations is our global voice. And so many people realize today that that's the one location on our earth where people from many different countries and many different languages can look at one another and realize, hey, you're a human, I'm a human. Why can't we have a conversation that helps us to understand each other better and not make each other wrong? And that is a tough one. Barbara, why do you think that that part was lacking in the healing process, like essentially a conversation or or talking? Well, actually, the UN process was where I learned how to watch it happen when they weren't in the peace talks, but they were in the General Assembly. And I don't know if you remember, but September 21 is International Day of Peace. And my late husband, Dr. Robert Mueller, founded that with Avon Madison Pathways to Peace in San Francisco. And they said on the opening day of the United Nations, why don't we have a moment of peace, a moment of quiet? And so in 1983, the first Universal Day of Peace was created. And here today, you can look at any calendar and it will say September 21 is the Universal Day of Peace. And that is a reminder to people that peace is possible. Now, the United Nations General Assembly is where all of the ambassadors, all of the delegates get together, and they started something new. Before they go to the agenda, they have palabras, which is talk about how you are, look at each other, and then they start the agenda. So it gives them a moment to be real and to be present. That's so interesting. So essentially within the, you know, system of the United Nations, you know, and for people who don't maybe obviously follow the news or follow United Nations mm-hmm. and global politics, mm-hmm. it can seem kind of dry, right? Like, you know, your assemblies yeah, and charters yeah. and a lot of verbiage. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great and the point. Declaration of Human Rights created by Eleanor Roosevelt. How many people go on Google and look up something but forget to look up the things that have impacted our planet, like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which Eleanor Roosevelt created when Truman asked her if she would run this by all of the delegates. And for everybody has human rights. Think about that. What a concept. Yeah. Well, I, absolutely. But I, I, I guess my point is that I think sometimes there can be a um, gap, if you will, a, um, a distance between 
the verbiage, the, the declaration and the actual, you know, what went into creating these laws and, and policies and actually the mm -hmm. human element. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting that in their meetings, they've now decided to begin with talking about feelings and stuff that's not chartered down and written down. And uh, it does. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Gets back into the, the human know. element. That's really important, the human element, isn't it? And you know, oftentimes my husband, my late husband and I would be doing a speech and they would say things like, oh, Dr. Mueller, Mrs. Mueller, you're so important. I, what am I supposed to do? And why aren't you paying attention to how horrible the world is? And we say, well, you're, you're focusing on how horrible the world is. And so that's been my model. I try to focus on the world I want and I try to focus on a world at peace where everybody has an opportunity to live the divine life they were given at birth. That's beautiful. I wish more people could see that that side of life and have that vision of, you know, what kind of world they do want to live in and to try to embrace mm -hmm. that. Could you actually, I'm really curious. Book, an old book, old, old, old book written. Um, his name is James Allen. And he said, I, I don't know how I picked it up today, to retire for a short time each day to some quiet spot preferably in the open air, where you call up the energies of the mind in surging waves of rapture and prepare the mind for the kind of life you want to live. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I have a question, actually. On how, how did you even get to the UN? Because it seems like you were, you have to have a, a sort of passion for the world to join the UN. So can you just take us through, like, how do you go from a teacher to want to join the UN and help to make policies? That is absolutely the most amazing question I think I've been asked in all the hundreds of radio interviews I've done. Pay attention to what doors start to open. I served on a nonprofit board of La Casa de Maria for many years, maybe 25 years. I would meet monthly and we would talk about programs that would help people live their lives better, find a way of being peaceful. And at the very end of my tenure there, I said, well, you know, we help everyday citizens learn how to be peaceful, learn how to live their lives to the fullest. Where do world leaders go? And they said, well, I guess we, well, they had no answer. And I said, okay. Let us, I'm in PR, let us invite 25 world leaders here to La Casa de Maria for healing and let's invite them to answer a question. And we'll have one of the world leaders invite the other world leaders. Long story short, the person we convinced the board and then we invited Tom Van Zandt and he invited Dr. Robert Mueller the Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations, to the meeting. I was single, he was single, and we fell in love. That falling in love was my vehicle to be with him to spend the next 17 years traveling the world and going to the United Nations. So my avenue comes back, I'm going to go right back to my when I was three years old, and my grandfather said to me, Barbara, you're going to be a peacemaker. I said, Grandpa, I'm only three years old. He said, don't worry about it. That's why I immigrated from Hungary, because I don't believe in war. You will be a peacemaker. So I meet Robert Mueller, and I think, oh, maybe that's what Grandpa meant. 
I'm supposed to marry a peacemaker and become a peacemaker. That's how it happened. That's amazing. That's such a cool, interesting story. And I, it really, it all comes together, to be honest, because hearing about the work that you're doing, you know, I could see someone like, I could see the United Nations needing someone like you to kind of take oh, that, thank you. <laughs> take the internal, <laughs> internal conflict, the internal, I guess, struggle of finding peace and, and bring it to the mass public, bring it to mm. a larger audience. That's such a difficult thing to do. Am I right? Like, how hard isn't is it, that? Isn't it? it is. It is hard. You have to be the peace you want to see in the world. We have to be the carrier of peace. We have to be contagious. And how do you be contagious as a peacemaker? You smile. When you're in the grocery store, I try to get in the longest line so that I can be available if somebody's having a bad day, so I can be peace to the checkout gal. If I can just be at peace, then I bring peace wherever I go. And it doesn't mean I have to only talk to ambassadors or presidents of countries, but I talk with everybody. You know, oftentimes you'll see a family very upset with the children and the children upset with the parents. And you know you can't just step in there and say, no, stop being like that. So I start with simple words and I say, what beautiful children you have. I bet you were excited when they were born to bring them back to that precious moment. And then I don't stop there. I say, would it be okay if I give, I ask the children, would it be okay if I give your mother this little package of M&Ms that I always carry in my purse? <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous. But the kids say, oh, yes, the children are the boss. And we give this M&Ms to the mom, and she shares it with the kids. And all of a sudden, the whole thing has changed. That's such a great lesson. That is a key lesson in life. And I want people to hear this because what you're doing is, is bringing it down to a small interaction. And, you, and mm -hmm. but, but you're being you 24 seven, you know, you're not a peaceful person between the hours of five and nine, right? Like this is every interaction in your life is touched by that. An opportunity. Which is, yeah. Which is an every opportunity. Exactly. Opportunity comes. Yeah. You got it's it. An investment in people in each interaction, which is that's, that's the right way to do it. And so that's, it's an amazing hearing that, um, back to what we were talking about, the fires, walk me through the type of people that were impacted by these fires. And, and well, everybody was. In Santa Barbara County, from Ventura County, all the way up to my backyard, we were on fire. We couldn't stop those fires. I don't remember how many thousands of acres, 394,000 acres. You would drive down the freeway to once was a lush forest. What did you see? Nothing. Black charcoal. I mean, they had to close the freeway. There was no way. The freeway was a becoming not the vehicle to stop the fire, but the vehicle to jump over. The fire was jumping over the freeway, hitting everything possible from the top of the mountain down to the beach. I have pictures of palm trees way away from the fire that caught like ignited instantly. Long story short, this fire impacted everybody first because of the toxic air that it produced. It produced such a scorching in your nose, your, your lungs. And my dad was a fireman, and he said, Barbara, don't ever breathe the smoke from a fire put on a mask. So I invested in some masks for myself and my family, and then pretty soon everybody needed masks. We were all in this danger of breathing in this soot that cannot be removed from your lungs. It just stays in those little follicles. And all of a sudden I realized, 
wait a minute, there's no more masks in Santa Barbara. So my friend and I went to Tascadero, which is about 45 miles away, and we bought masks, and we brought them home by the bag full. And I said to people as I saw them, do you need a mask? Of course they said yes. If, I, if they were walking and I drove by, I said, would you like a mask? The homeless guys, I said, do you need a mask? I just kept handing out these masks. And these people were so grateful. And so when the fire was raging, and you know, a little thing like handing out a mask was an opening for them to have a conversation with me. And they would say, my house burned down. Or my neighbor lost their home, or my neighbor lost their cat. We're grieving. And, you know, I would just say, oh, my, well, tell me more, so that they could get it out of their system. Healing comes through talking sometimes. Yeah, wow. It's amazing you were able to to make these small acts of kindness by helping people. And you're right, just by doing something like that, people open up to to you, yeah. and, and they open their world, which... A lot of times in our society, we, uh, we, we don't trust people enough to open up. But like these small acts of kindness really, I think, allow the heart to open and people to share. I'm a very tall woman. And I think people, first of all, they look at me, what is this tall woman handing me a mask, you know? And I think, well, let's not worry about that, Barbara. Just say, would you like to have a mask? Do you need a mask? Do you know that? We need to use the N95 mask. And they would say, no, I didn't know that. And I said, well, may I give you one? And they would be so grateful. I think we're afraid of people sometimes, don't you? Absolutely. And it seems like during times of distress or trauma is when we actually join more with people. Like, for instance, like I know I've lived in apartment buildings, condo buildings and stuff like that. And, you mm -hmm. know, the it seems like the time you talk to your neighbors most is when something's going on. Like the alarm's going on, everybody's exiting or... Let's say that, you know, there there might be a situation, you know, there was one time where mm -hmm. um, the fire alarm was going off, you know, and I was worried because it kept going off. So I went, I checked my neighbors, I, I talked to them. Uh -huh. but it's so interesting during times of distress and, and fire. Nobody really thinks about, first of all, nobody really, we're so comfortable, we're safe in our lives generally. We don't think about the dangers of it and the risks, but when it happens... Mm -hmm. You know, people must be so confused, shocked, scared, everything around it. And just to have someone like you to just calmly sit down and say, hey, let's rehash some of these things. Let's talk about this, this emotional distress that you're going through. That's a tremendous uh, thing that you're doing. What made you do that? Because not everybody's going to, you know, have that idea go through their head. You know, some people might say, hey, I'm going to get out of town, you know, go stay at a hotel for a few weeks. Uh, some people might say, you know, oh, it's not my job. You know, I, I'm going to take care of me and myself and let these other people do whatever they need to do. What gave you the thought in your head to go out and say, hey, I'm going to talk to some people, help some people? Well, I had just dropped off my sweetheart for lunch. And I said, oh, my God, what can I do for these people who lost so much in the floods? The floods were still going on. I saw on the news, I was watching the news 24-7, I saw them carrying people on stretchers who were no longer alive from the mud, they drowned in the mud, I saw that, I felt their pain, I was witness to the horrors, and after I dropped my sweetheart off for lunch, I said to myself, what can I do? And my car literally drove on the freeway, the part of the freeway that was open, and I knew that these victims were staying at the Galita Hilton, and I said, now, I'm not good at this, but I'm going to go in there, and if they need to talk, I'm going to be present. 
So I parked the car. I didn't even take my cell phone. I didn't even take my purse because I didn't expect to see anybody. But I went in, and there they were crying. They were holding their cell phones. They were talking. And I said, I'm here. And they kind of know me because I have a presence in Santa Barbara being president of the United Nations Association. They said, Barbara. And the tears started to flow. But I didn't get into the crying. I didn't get into, oh, I hope this is over. I'm so sorry for you. I went into, I'm here. And they told me their stories. And about the only words I said for hour after hour was, I'm so sorry. After they had used up all the emotion that they had pent up, nobody else would listen because it was too dramatic. I said, what would you like me to do? And they asked me to go to Kmart and buy them pajamas, buy them a toothbrush, buy them a comb. They had nothing in that hotel except the little things that, you know, you get in a hotel. And I said, I'd be delighted to do that. And so I got back in my car and I went grocery shopping and I went and got, and they wanted simple things like rice berry, rice crispy treats. They just wanted simple things that were normal. And I brought back all those normal things and they wanted to pay me. I said, no way. This is my gift. You gave me the gift of your sorrow and your grief. And I want to give you the gift of a few things that might make a few moments happier. And that's how I did it. I didn't know I was going to do it. My intuition said, go to the Goleta Hilton and be with those victims. Yeah, it's people, and it's people like you and, and other volunteers and, and, and you know leaders in the community that really help support those individuals. You know, for mm-hmm. some contacts for people, you know, when fires going through your neighborhood, going, you know, touching your house, people are leaving. They're leaving everything, and they're essentially watching their homes um, be mm-hmm. destroyed, and without any real assurance whether they'd get money back for that, whether they can replace those items. You know, a lot of people just left, and it it's a crazy type of situation for those individuals. So basic comforts mean a lot, I would imagine, during that time, you know, and even in Canada. Isn't it interesting how tragedy brings out the best in a lot of people? Have you noticed that? Yeah. And and like you said, you know, you're the one who said it, the gift that they gave you was their emotions and sorrow. And, Mm -hmm. And not everybody can accept something like that. You know, it takes someone to then take that gift and what are they going to do with it? Are you going to then take that gift and cherish it and then help support that person? Or, you know, you're just going to listen and then move on. Like you said, you asked for more questions. You know, when they started talking to you, you wanted to hear more about their story. That's doing something with that gift. And someone... Yeah, tell me more. Oh, my. You know, they were telling me stories like the newscast cannot show you how horrible it really was. And I would say, oh. And then they would tell me what they had seen, how these boulders had literally done damage to the human bodies that they saw. I mean, it was tremendous what happened in that fire flood. And I do an article, I did an article about this on Thrive Global. And if people would like to hear how I did it or read how I did it, they could go to Thrive Global and put my name, Barbara, G-A-U-G-H-E-N, Mueller, M-U-L-L-E-R, and then you can read some of the articles I've written about five ways to bring peace in your life, fire, flood, and peace, and I just recently wrote an article about, um, what was the last one? I've written three articles. Well, anyway, they'll see them on Thrive Global 
com. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll actually put those links also in the show notes. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about, you mentioned sort of five ways to find peace. Could you just mention a couple that our listeners maybe can learn something um, about finding peace in troubled times? I would love to. You, you ask the best questions. I'm sorry. I have to tell you that. Um, <laughs> you're great. My husband and I created something so simple. It's called the Peace Corner. Literally every home should have a corner where they have a, written on a piece of paper or on a piece of cardboard, Peace Corner. This is your place where you can remember peace is possible. We have ours in the kitchen so that it reminds us to have a peaceful meal. Many people have them in the bedroom, and you put a chair there, maybe a picture of the globe or something you love. I remember talking at a church one time, and had I make little plastic peace corners, and I hand them out everywhere. And I remember at church one time, I had I, all the children, come on up on stage, I'm going to give you a gift. Well, they all came up on stage where the pastor was, and I said, today I'm going to tell you the story of the little girl who created the Peace Corner with me. And I tell them the story, and then I give them a Peace Corner, and this little boy says, oh, my gosh, can I bring my dog to the Peace Corner? And I said, absolutely, you can bring anything that makes you peaceful. And I said, and listen, if you are really sad and your mom is yelling at you or you're yelling at your mom, you can go to the Peace Corner, and that's your place where nobody can bother you. Wouldn't you love that? Oh, yes, they said. <laughs> so the Peace Corner is a neutral or a church or a school or a library where a person can go lead or somebody's being mean and rotten to them. I like that idea a lot because it, it brings me back to my childhood when you had like a timeout corner. And mm -hmm. I think we put I think we put a negative spin on that. I think growing mm -hmm. up, you know, we always associated uh, a time on yourself by yourself as as a negative thing. But look at this. You changed it around. Now it's now it's a moment of, you know, I could just picture yeah. you know, I, I could just picture time out should be negative. They should be lovely. And, you know, you could put something in that chair. Or, now there's 4,000 Peace Corners in schools around the world. People have these Peace Corners in the classroom. My girlfriend does the Peace Crane Project, and she called me up and said, Barbara, I'm doing Minneapolis, and I'm teaching kids to make Peace Cranes. Do you know every one of the classrooms has a Peace Corner? You created something that is going viral. And I said, oh, thank God. If I can just have people have a Peace Corner. Think about the peace that will spread. And so anyway, that was the conversation. So people are catching on to having a peace corner. I like it. I can see this moving into the roads and highways and having a peace lane where nobody bugs you. <laughs> and you, just, you just enjoy your commute. <laughs> I never uh, thought of that. I love it. Spouses or husbands or, or wives or partners, you know, they have a little peace uh -huh. corner. So, you know, after work, they schedule like an hour by themselves, <laughs> resolves yeah. conflicts across the nation. Perfect. God bless you. I love that. Um, yeah, it, it's really, a, and I have a peace, um, I don't know what you call it, but a peace journal. It's almost like a gratitude journal. You know, things are not perfect. And, you know, the minute I sit down when things aren't perfect and I, think of something I'm grateful for. It kind of changes my attitude. You know, we all need those reminders. We all have little things and what you're doing, that that's an important thing. It's not just something that, you know, to take, you shouldn't take it lightly, take it seriously. Like for instance, Joshua Black, uh, you know, he cherishes the color red. I mean, it's a uh -huh. reminder for him, you know, to, to bring more love into his life. And, you know, mm -hmm. 
I think that's an amazing thing. And, and I, I again, like people, some people might say, oh, well, you know, that makes no sense. You know, your whole house should be peaceful. Your whole kitchen should be peaceful, your whole bedroom, whatever it is. But it isn't. The fact of the matter is that it makes sense to put a little reminder to kind of tell you, hey, take a breath, you know, stay calm, you know, breathe, all these type of things that are important for us. It's funny how I was reading another book. I keep reading these. I, I love to read and I love to talk. So I read books. And in this last book I was reading, they said, when you harbor a negative thought, when you think a negative thought, even though you don't express it, the people in your life feel it. And so what if you were to harbor and think a peaceful thought and the people in your life felt it? Um, just watch what happens when you think a peaceful thought. And so what? The person comes up to you and they yell at you and you're thinking a peaceful thought. That means you won't get into their anger, that you'll maintain your own peace. And you may ask, may repeat what they say. They may say to you, you don't know what you've done to me. And then you repeat, you don't know, you don't know what I've done to you in a calm voice. And it allows you to use the stop, which is our first model in Revolutionary Conversations book. Like you don't go to an intersection and everybody jump in the middle. You go to the intersection and you stop. Why? Because you're looking for a way to go forward that is safe. So in our conversation, sometimes you have to stop yourself from having a fit or stop the conversation. You may even have to say, may I stop for a moment? I'd like to ask um, some help. I need to understand what you're saying. So we have this simple little toolkit that you can carry in your pocket, in your brain, which is stop, help, ask, risk, and explore. And that allows you these five simple steps on our website, revolutionaryconversations.net. They're there free, and they're also in our book, um, allow you to have a conversation regardless of the situation. That's nice. No, I, uh, I like that. And when you're talking um, about the, the gratitude journals, uh, we had a guest on that talked about the vision boards. I don't know if you've heard of those where you like, you put oh, like yeah. your dreams on a board. Well, I think, you know, what you're talking about too is like you could have a gratitude board where you have a board where it reminds you of all the things you're grateful for when you wake mm. up because it's so easy to just, just focus on all the stress in your life and forget what actually is making you smile. Mm. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. The stresses can keep you from smiling, can't they? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let, let's uh, move forward a little bit more now in your journey. So you like, you do your keynote speaking. What do you, uh, you speak about? What's your, your go-to when it comes to these talks that you're doing? I've been talking recently about the time for peace is now. And when I'm talking, if it's a group of parents, I talk about how to bring peace into the home. If I'm talking to an bunch of executives, I talk about how to have a work environment that's peaceful, how to use your HR person to bring more peace to the environment, how to have work peace, um, how to have conversations. I think the main topic that I talk about is peace and love. How do we bring that together? And um, how do I, my husband, my late husband talked about happiness and I do some talks on happiness, but basically my talk is the time for peace is now and here's how you can achieve that. 
Nice. Well, that's good. So hopefully one day I'll be able to see you and uh, in person and hear you speak and uh, and learn a, a couple of things from from what your take on peace is and how it can be fostered in communities. And well, if lives. you want to hear some of the great peacemakers of our planet, you can go to peaceconference2016.org and click on speakers. I interviewed 60 of the top peacemakers in our planet on our planet for the Rotary World Peace Conference. PeaceConference2016.org, and there you can see me, and you can see them, and my RevolutionaryConversations.net also has my podcast, and I really believe that everybody has something to give us. Everybody is a gift, and I always interview people to let them tell about their gifts that they're bringing to our planet. That's some amazing work that you're doing, and you know, actually, I wanted to... I wanted to get one more thing from you because I think what you're saying sure. and what you're doing is so important. Um, and Thank you. I feel like, do you, th- do you agree with this, that it, it ends up coming down to the basics? Like you're not, you're not coming, you're not doing talks on like some specialized strategy for people to kind of, you know, find peace, you know, 10 steps that people need to do to get peace. Like, am I correct? It's down to the basics. Absolutely. I deal with what's going on or I'm with the people in the audience. I can read audiences pretty well. And I try to talk from my own experience base. That's why I was given the Spirit of the United Nations Award, because I talked about what the United Nations is doing to bring peace to our planet, allowing refugees to have a say, um, allowing them to have a world passport. So I talk about everything from peace is possible to how you can have a peaceful life, and it keeps you kind of on the path of your own destiny. I talk a lot about destiny. We are each born with something in us about destiny. And when you find it, how do you know if you're on your path that you were created for? And I say, are you happy? If you're not happy, pay attention. Why aren't you happy? And you know, so many people are in the blame game. As you know, they blame the world for their problems. Okay. The world isn't perfect, but what can you do to make yourself happy? Live your life to its fullest. Oh, I always tell somebody has died and the grief is so strong. I say, do something for somebody else. It will make you smile. Smile. And so many of my friends after, like my girlfriend's husband died, and I'm president of the United Nations Association. So as soon as he died, she was sitting there in the lobby of our university club, and I said, you look so sad. And she said, yeah, my husband died. And I said, I'm so sorry. Would you like to be on my board? I need a new woman on my board. Well, that just perked her up. I gave her something she could do, and she became one of my best members. But I was with her when she was sad, too, and she told me her story of her husband dying and all the other things. And I listened, and then I invited her to be a board member, and she's one of my best board members. That's a great point. And what I got from that was that, each person is different. So listening to each individual person, reading that person, and then giving that person the space to kind of tell you what they need, essentially, in not so many words, and then going from there is an important thing people can take away from this, that listeners can take Absolutely. away. Absolutely. Amazing thing that ha- has happened when you notice something about another human being. And if I were to give your audience one task, it would be to notice something about somebody they love or notice somebody in a grocery store or notice the clerk and just say something like, 
I always notice when my sweetheart wakes up, I say, I notice you're so happy today, or I noticed you have on a new shirt. A simple thing like that, or I love the shoes you're wearing, it opens up an avenue because you're present. If you're present with that person, that's the present that they need, to be present for them, to be in the moment with them. Yeah, well, hopefully our listeners can take that and be able to to just be more aware of the people they love and even the strangers around them and the times of need that maybe they could do something or say something, just a simple hi, um, can brighten a lot of people's day. And so, yeah, that's a I great challenge it. for us this week. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, I'm going to move forward to grief now. And you keep saying your late husband, did he die? My late husband died, yeah. He died in 2010. We were married 17 years. And um, he, at the end of his life, was um, in early stages of forgetfulness. And so I was his caregiver. And even his caregiving allowed me to write a column, The Caregiver's Corner. How do you help somebody whose memory is failing? So it was very sad for me when he was this great world leader, wrote 40 books, wrote Good Morning World every day. You know, we have this email that goes to the world. And for him to have early forgetfulness, and I said, well, I can be with him in this. And I ended up writing a column called The Caregiver's Corner about how are you with somebody who may not have memory of eating breakfast or eating lunch and so I would tell them, you have one thing that you can do no matter what the situation, and that's called smile. Just smile. I used to take pictures of breakfast, and I'd say to Robert, honey, you had breakfast. Let me show you a picture. You know, iPhones are fabulous, just fabulous. And then we would smile, and I'd sit with him. I watched every Hallmark movie there was because he couldn't stand it if I wasn't sitting next to him. So I would sit next to him, and I enjoyed those movies. Maybe that's where I got a lot of my wisdom, all those Hallmark movies. A lot of people in their grief, they it's it's deep sorrow. Did you get that yourself at the same time as being grateful? Like, were you able to hold both emotions? Yes, absolutely. Grateful for the 17 years that we had together. And um, when he did die, um, his daughter was on his way, her way to visit him, and I called her and said, dad died and she said um, oh my gosh anyway she came to Santa Barbara and helped me you will find people are willing to help you through your early stages of the tragedy and then we did a celebration of his life and um, I was sad of course you don't you have to go through your grief grief is a teacher so I was with my grief and I stayed with my grief and then some people would invite me out to lunch and I'd go out to lunch and I do things that would be normal again. But the grief is present. You have to remember that, that you don't just say, oh, dear, I'm going to be happy now. No, grief is a great teacher. In that grief, you uncover a lot of your own personal soul. And that grief, you just be with it. And pretty soon it disappears. But you can't shortchange grief. Grief takes as long as it takes. What's one thing you learned from losing the loss of your husband? Uh, that you didn't know before? That life is not over when somebody dies. That you have many moments of joy still waiting to be expressed if you don't judge how other people treat you. The one thing I discovered is you're now single, right? And a lot of people do not need a single person. They need a couple. And so you have to remember, let them be. 
you just remember that you are a person whole and real and that your life can go on. And that was the hardest lesson for me was to remember that my life goes on regardless of the fact that I was now single, that my anchor was had disappeared and um, it was gone. And I learned that I still count. And I even my last column that I wrote, life after being a caregiver and death. And I wrote that column because I wanted people to know that life does go on and you're still in the mood to have, you still can have joy in your life. Wow. Well, I'm glad you, you learned that stuff from such a, a traumatic time. And hopefully people can learn from their grief as they move forward, because you say it is a process. And as much as we think we know who we are, we always learn more about who we are through, through mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. So, so I'm glad. So when you, so since your journey now, have you had a dream of your husband? Oh, yes. Yeah, I didn't get as many dreams as I was expecting. Because he told me, you know, he was a world leader, 40 years at the top of the United Nations. And he said, when I die, I'm going to come back and whisper in every head of state that it's time for peace. And I'm going to whisper in their ear. And I think he's too busy up there to come visiting me in dreams. It takes a lot to get a person in a dream. But when I got the first dream with him, he was no longer sick. He was a snappy guy that I fell in love with. His hair was combed. His shoes were polished. His suit was a... Ralph Lawrence suit. He had on fancy clothes and he looked fabulous. And he said, I'm so happy. And that was all I needed to hear that he was back to Robert Mueller, head of the United Nations, assistant secretary general, writing speeches for the secretary generals. You know, I don't think life is over because you die. I think life is just what happens. It's just what happens to you. We still go on. I, the body is our vehicle for the life we're living, but I think we go on. I don't think we die just because our body dies. I think our soul lives forever. In fact, my husband and I would say things like, now you have a dream? Let the unemployed saints out there help you achieve it. Know your dream, know your vision, and let all those saints running around looking for something to do to help you. It's all we can say, right? Like, you know, just we have to leave it up to, you know, if that's what you believe, you have to leave it up to the higher power. There's, you know, mm-hmm. we, we don't have a gen, you know, a lot of times, I guess we have agendas here on earth and then plans and goals and this and that. Well, a lot of that's going to go out the window when you die. So, you know, <laughs> saying, oh, so, you know, holding on to expectations of the, lo- of the loved ones as well. Like, like you said, like, you know, your husband's doing this, he's doing that you know, in, in mm-hmm. the afterlife, um, you know, you don't know, but at the end of the day, you know, if he visits you, he visits you. I'm actually really Absolutely. curious. I'm really curious to hear more about that dream. So what age did he come in? Was he young when you first met him and swept him off his no. feet or was he and older? Was, I had to overcome my experience with him. He was 20 years older and shorter than me. And I thought, oh my. And I had to, I fell in love with, we were like a magnet. I fell in love with his speeches that he made and his ideas and his dreams. And um, I, you know, you have to, you have to pay attention. God sends you gifts. God sends you people. Pay attention. Does it make you happy? When I met Robert, I was um, doing a public relations. I had my business, you know. I was helping with the drought. I was doing 
things that would help Santa Barbara have a better future and my book authors that I was helping. Um, and so he came into my life and I said, wow, I don't know about this. And um, long story short, we were like always together and people would say, why were you always together? And, you know, we only had these conferences once a year for a couple of weeks and he lived in Costa Rica. Think about that. How did this man from Costa Rica, after he retired from the UN, he was at the University for Peace that he co-founded. He came to Santa Barbara to our conference for world leaders, and I put on that conference. God works miracles. Just pay attention to the miracles in your life. And that's what happened to me. I met him. We fell in love, got married, and spent the next 17 years traveling the world, working for peace. Having adventures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you said you haven't had a lot of dreams. So did you only have that one or did you have more after that? The other dreams that came to me with him were um, family related with the family being involved. And we were in, we have a cabin in Costa Rica. They read the cabin and I envisioned this cabin turning into like a museum. And he was so excited about having the museum because he had these fabulous archives of his work. And that came to me. And then um, lots of meals together. But I never really had many dreams after the first one when he came to me as this happy person who no longer is on the planet. But I dream a lot. Do you dream a lot? Oh, yeah. I dream, I dream a lot. It's usually about once a day uh, I'll have a dream. Um, but when it comes once to my father, or once a night, yeah. yeah, well, I also take naps, so it could be once a day. <laughs> oh, you have naps and you dream during your nap, too. That's a good yeah. dream. That's a good <laughs> sign that you're sleeping deeply. Oh, yeah. It's a good day, too, because when I nap, I love it. I wake up refreshed twice in one day. <laughs> oh, I do the same. God bless you. Uh, people don't realize, you know how um, Ariana Huffington's running around telling everybody, sleep, sleep, sleep. Sleep is the best peacemaker you can have. I think that's our next. People next, are miserable. That's our next episode: the power of naps. Uh, <laughs> well, I think too. It, I think you know what we talked about. We talked about timeouts and how they can be helpful in nap time. So I think it's just being being back to be a child. Um, and uh -huh. re yeah, and I think there's something powerful about that. It can really help you. I do too. Nap. I'm with you 100. <laughs> percent Well, uh, the story goes on because after um, Robert died, um, you know, he died in 2010, and we're in 2018. And about three years after he died, my girlfriend said, you have to come with me to this meeting for the Rotarians. And I said, okay. So I went to this meeting for the Rotarians, and there was this other Rotarian there who asked if he could buy me a glass of wine. And I said, oh, I wasn't even going to drink tonight, but okay, I'll take a glass of wine. And so we sat down, and we talked for three hours, and that was Sig Watney, a Rotarian, and we, and again, it was like one of those magic moments when I felt complete when I was with him. But you know, one of the things people make a mistake about, they expect the other person to be something they are. You have to be really whole in yourself to join as a partner. That's a great point as well. And, and I think going through the different uh, losses that you've gone through has obviously shaped and, and uh, given you that type of training and tools on your belt to recover quickly and be who you need to be, you know, be the person yeah. who, who you actually are. And his wife had died the same year as my husband, two months apart. 
so our first conversation was what it was like to lose our spouses and how we then kind of created a life together and um it just we've been together for five years now wow that's it's so beautiful that you were able to find love again and to feel it doesn't seem like you're having issues with it because I know I get I hear a lot of dreams from uh, people who lose a spouse where they have these dreams of almost guilt that they they've moved on or that they're seeing someone new and it seems like you're okay with that and I I love that I love hearing that because I also I see well I almost feel like as you mentioned the invisible force put us together for us to be together and you know he speaks five languages, just like my late husband did. My late husband was under the Nazis in war-torn French-German, and my dear sweet Sig was in under the Nazis in Norway. And so what am I, I do? Sometimes I say to myself, oh, God, you're so wonderful. You help me attract the men that I can learn from. Oh, my God, I learned so much from Sig, and his book is called SIG. Anybody who wants to read a book that will tell you why war doesn't work, Read that book, Sig, by Sigurd Watney. And my late husband's book, the one that sells like crazy on Amazon, is How Happiness Saved His Life When He Was in the French Resistance and the Nazis Came to Arrest Him. The story's right there. Wow. Seems like you, uh, you meet some powerful people with some powerful journeys. Uh, do, so do you yeah. think, when you, when you look at your, your new relationship, do you think uh, your husband, uh, your deceased husband, like set you guys up? Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. his wife did, too. When we were sitting <laughs> in the kitchen one time, he said, I just saw Mary Ellen. I said, are you kidding? Oh, she was smiling. And we were sitting together. I think our spouses, if your if you're relationship with the, the person who has gone to a different plane, I call it a different channel, they've gone to a different channel, um, is, was the kind of person you were supposed to be. They're going to enjoy that you are in love again. Enjoy that you're happy again. If a person got married to you or he was your partner because they were needy, that's another story. If a person's needy and you're not more of who you are when you're with them, just move on. It's a hard thing to do, but you know that word stop. Stop the relationship and move on. I like it, Barbara. Telling it like it is. <laughs> Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That yeah, seems to be, I, I, think, I think that's the theme of this podcast. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and, and it comes, you know, during the day, the thoughts that you have before you're going to have a negative interaction with someone, before you're going to have a ne- negative conversation, take the time to stop, think, how are you feeling? You know, how, what type of thoughts might come out of your brain? You know, before you go on and, and have a negative experience, have a bad interaction, ruin your day, ruin that person's day. So thank you. Thank you for that. So the last question we always like to, uh, to uh, talk about here is what dream you'd want to have of your deceased loved one if you could tonight. So uh, if you could have a dream tonight, what dream would you want to have uh, with your deceased husband? I would love to have a dream where we are together and working as a couple to bring peace to our planet and to bless all those who come in contact with us. You know, it's very interesting. My late husband did many speeches for secretary generals and he never really planned his speech until the night when, the night before when he would go before he fell asleep. He would think about what he wanted about some problem that was happening or some speech he was going to make and the next morning he'd wake up and the answer would be there and so your dreams are wonderful solutions um 
look how, um, oh my God, I think of all these great inventors who invented the solution in their dream. So I think what I would like to be is to give me more of the tools that allow me to bring peace to our planet because he knew how to do that. I like that. So he's, he's given you some good advice and some some steps uh, that you could take to sort of uh, impact the, the community and the world a little bit faster. That's nice. So where would you be? Like, what would, what would your location be? Peace is possible. I truly believe it, but it begins in the mind. It begins in your interactions. It begins with each other. It begins by stopping a moment and being present. It's really hard to do sometimes, but peace is possible. It's very true, very true. And so what location would you want this dream to be in? Uh, probably right where I am in Santa Barbara. But in your we're house? experienced with these fires and the floods. It's a lot, it's very traumatic here. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, Barbara, you know, we wanted to wrap things up. Uh, first, we wanted to thank you for coming on. Um, because you know it, you're a very influential person and we really appreciated all the little tidbits and kind of lessons that you gave us and our listeners i think your story also is a really good lesson for individuals um, you know young people in in certain careers who kind of are like you want to help others but maybe don't really know mm-hmm. what path to take because mm-hmm. you know if you look at your life you know you kind of you know you had some faith, you had some confidence in what you were doing, and then you just, you matched the right person who kind of mm-hmm. took you to You're a You're like different... a magnet. What you think begins to materialize. And I wrote down in 1990 before I met Robert what I wanted in my next relationship. And believe me, that's what I got. I wanted somebody who was working on world problems. I wanted this and that. I wrote it down. I didn't even realize that what I wrote down became reality until about 10 years after I was married to Robert and I went in my wallet and there was that little scrap of paper with all those ideas. So know what you want and, and let the universe support it. You can't be always, you know, striving to get everything you want, but let the universe help you and watch for the gifts that come your way. I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, we Thank want to you. also, you know, honor uh, your late husband, Robert. Um, you know the tremendous um, work that he's done in the in the world. And his really. work is available yeah. free. RobertMuller.org. Just go there and look, and you can take these decide to dream. He wrote forty poems about decide to be happy, decide to forgive. Even Ann Landers quotes him all the time because he was so powerful with his simplicity. He was so simple. Decide to be the first to forgive. Untold miracles await the forgiveness. Absolutely. And, and really the, the best application of peace. You know, it's a lot of people have theories and ideas about how to implement peace and go about doing it. But it's a big difference when you're talking about applying it, which is essentially what Robert you know, did his whole life. Um, I wanted to appreciate that and, and, and honor his memory and also appreciate you and thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Can you give our listeners... Um, any any links that you want to drop? I know we dropped several during the podcast, so please, here's your time. Say it again. Oh, you're the sweetest person. Uh, Revolutionary Conversations, the tools you need for the success you want is available on Amazon. And my name is Barbara Gon Mueller, and I have two co-authors. 
But if you just put revolutionary conversations and check that out, um, and then my website has a lot of podcasts and a lot of ideas, revolutionaryconversations.net, N-E-T, has ideas. And my, if you want to see me, go to my United Nations Association website, unasb.org. So yeah, as we we finished the interview, I just wanted to thank you personally uh, again for just taking the time and, and being an influence in people's lives and making not making peace a complicated issue, but making it a very simple issue by by doing things like small acts of kindness for other people around just in your everyday life because I think that means so much to them and can have a huge effect more than you say even coming on here can. Just your, your simple being of being happy, being grateful as you meet and talk to people and giving them space oh, to share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love what you said. Not making peace so complicated. I love that. Now, if I wanted to tell my friends how to listen to your show, what would I do? What would I tell them? Well, you just let us into our next little segment. So please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If uh, your friends or any listeners uh, have Facebook, they can join a Grief Dreams Facebook group. Um, we also have Instagram and Twitter, which is at Grief Dreams. And you can, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and lots of other podcasting platforms. Uh, so, Barbara, we like to end our podcast. Again, thank you very much. Um, and we're going to end with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you, Joshua and Sean. Bless you both. All right. <laughs>